WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another segment of the Marian Hour. And I'm Father Dwight Campbell. Happy to be here with you once again. And we'll begin our Marian Hour, as is our custom, by praying the great prayer of the Memorare. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And St. Kateri Tekakwitha, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Yesterday is the feast day of St. Kateri Tekakwitha, and <clears throat> she's called the Lily of the Mohawks. She was born in, I think it was early to mid-1600s, to an Algonquin mother and her father was a chief, but not a Mohawk. And her parents died when she was about 14 years of age and of smallpox. And she contracted smallpox as well. It left her face marked with pox, with marks on it. And <clears throat> uh, she was adopted by an uncle who was a Mohawk in upper New York. And at the preaching of some Jesuit missionaries, she decided to be baptized and then uh, really embraced a, a life of, of holiness and purity. She, she consecrated herself basically to Jesus as a virgin, which didn't go over too well with the Mohawks because this was unheard of why someone would be a virgin. She was persecuted, ridiculed, underwent much suffering. And some years later, she went up to the St. Lawrence River near Quebec there in a, in a, uh, <coughs> a Catholic um, uh, village. And there she fully really entered into her Catholic faith. She received Holy Communion on, on Christmas up in, in this uh, Catholic village. And just a few years later, she died. And uh, her holiness was recognized, especially after her death. And I'll, I'll ask Angela, who's here with me, do you know what happened after her death as a sign of her holiness? Maybe her face cleared up. Yes, her face without a mark. And that was seen as an outward visible sign of her inward purity. And she's called the Lily of the Mohawks. Um, I visited in 
outside of Montreal, um, a shrine to, it was then Blessed Kateri Tekakwitha back about 1993 or around that time. John Paul II had beatified her in 1990, and it was just a small little shrine, a chapel, nothing. In fact, it was it was so <laughs> simple. We were kind of, uh, I was with my parents, and we were a little bit taken aback how, you know, we thought we'd see a greater sign of, of you know, um, devotion to her, and and it was just rather small and simple because we had been visiting in Montreal the, the shrine to now Saint uh, Andre Bassett, and you know he built this huge basilica to uh, in honor of Saint Joseph, and then we go to the sh- the, the shrine of uh, Blessed Kateri, and it was rather sparse and simple, and um, I think it's it's been built up since then, um, especially since her canonization. I think uh, it was 2012 that Benedict XVI canonized her a saint. And <clears throat> I have with me a relic of, of, oh, no, 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 no. I'm hoping I didn't. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's, I didn't put it in my pocket. I was worried <laughs> that it would have fallen out. It's, oh, no. I, I put it in my, my top front pocket here of my clerical shirt. Uh, and then I remembered I took it out. I thought, no, it may fall out because things tend to fall out. And I have it here, yes, the, the um, a relic to, uh, and this says B. Kateri Tekakwitha game. Will you be blessing us? Uh, oh, yes. Does it work over the airwaves? I'm sure uh, she will intercede for us. And this is when she was a blessed. This relic was given to me, a piece of her bone by uh, a parishioner when I was out in Dayton, Ohio, doing my studies <coughs> in Mariology. And um, one of the I started a Mary group there, a Mary uh, reading group. We'd study the Virgin Mary. We read different books over the year for a few years, and it's still going. Um, you know, almost uh, like 18 years later, this yeah. this Mary group. So, and one of the the people involved in the group gave me this relic of then Blessed Kateri, or for Catherine Tekagwitha. Okay, Kateri was the the Indian way of saying Catherine. So I have that in front of me here, and uh, um, <coughs> maybe at the, the end of my, my show today, I will um, invoke her in giving a blessing over you know, our listening audience. You know, this is a story about her, Father. I, I met the woman whose uh, miracle allowed her, I don't know if it was her, to be beatified or canonized. Hmm. And I can't remember what the miracle, it had something to do with her child, but she said that the promise of Blessed Kateri is that she, or Saint Kateri is, she never lets a favor go unreturned. Oh, really? Yes. So her her claim to fame here is as if you, if she gives, if she does, if you do a favor for her, like you just did, promoting her holiness, uh, then she will, then you can turn to her and she will always respond to it in kind. Well, very good. I love to promote devotion to the saints. And this show, I'm going to devote, I'll I'll see how things go, how the time proceeds, um, to 
a Marian devotion, uh, in fact, a feast day coming up just in two days. Hmm. Do you know what feast that is? Could it be, is there a tie with the church that you're with? Our <laughs> Lady of Mount it Carmel, is, yes. there you go, your big day. Father. Yes, it is the, the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Friday, July 16th. And actually, this because parishes are allowed to celebrate their patron patronal feast on a Sunday near their feast day, either before or after, if the feast day doesn't fall on a Sunday. So this past Sunday at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church in Kenosha, we celebrated the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Wow. And this was because usually we had a festival, <laughs> mm. which we didn't have this year. We had some food sales, but we had, a, as we usually do, a procession with the statue of Our Lady of Mount Carmel around the neighborhood. And we had well, probably a couple of hundred people processing through the neighborhood, singing songs and praying the rosary, and then ended up back in the church for benediction, and then did an act of consecration to our Lady of Mount Carmel, which I plan to do at the end of the show today. Oh. So a beautiful act of consecration. I'll keep that out too. So uh, most people have heard of the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. But there's a background to the whole story of Mount Carmel. What, what is it with Mount Carmel? Uh, why is Mount Carmel special? Well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll begin by talking about Mount Carmel a little bit. It's, it's actually a part of a mountain range that uh, stretches inland uh, between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea that, that would be on the, the west side. And <clears throat> this range named Mount Carmel is really a series of mountains, but the main site uh, of the mount is where the Stella Maris Monastery is of the Discalced Carmelites. And it sits on a limestone bluff which overlooks the city of Haifa. And from the top of the mountain, on a clear day, you can see the Mediterranean Sea, you see the other mountains. It's really breathtaking, very inspiring. I was there about a year and a half ago on a pilgrimage uh, for my second time. It was great because I had people with me from Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church. We're on Mount Carmel, <laughs> and I celebrated Mass there. And I believe it was in the—they have different chapels— it was in the chapel of St. Therese of Lisieux, because she's a Carmelite, and I, I had people from my other parish, Our Lady of, of St. Therese of Lisieux. So it was a wonderful experience to, to um, tour on top of Mount Carmel, celebrate Mass there. And, um, and the name Carmel, it, it actually comes from a Hebrew word, which, which means garden, okay, or a beautiful garden, uh, a choice orchard, uh, and <clears throat> it was named that because the mountain had just beautiful flowers growing on its shrubs, uh, fragrant herbs, and it was so beautiful. Actually, Mount Carmel is mentioned in the Song of Songs uh, as, as a symbol of the Bride of Christ, okay? This is the Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 5. So, um, well, how does Mount Carmel relate to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, we, we have to go back 
in time to the ninth century before Jesus Christ. And in, well, after, after King David ruled the nation of, of Israel, okay, he united all the tribes. His son was Solomon. And, well, David lived about a thousand years before Christ. Solomon came after him, the great wise Solomon. Solomon was not the greatest ruler. He had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines, and some of these were even pagans, and he let them honor their pagan gods. Anyway, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel united the, the, the tribes of Israel, okay, the different parts, um, uh, different tribes settled in different parts of the Holy Land in and King David was from the tribe of Judah, and that's where Bethlehem is. That's where the city of Jerusalem is. But the kingdom split. The tribes in the north, the um, uh, ten tribes in the north, they formed their own kingdom with uh, their own king. The tribes of the south, which were primarily Judah and, and Benjamin, um, that kept the line of King David going. Well, <clears throat> uh, in the ninth century before Christ, this is probably within a hundred years after Solomon's death, um, the people in the northern kingdom, they begin to um, fall away from true worship of God, the one God of Israel. And the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, it was called. Okay, the southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah. In the northern kingdom, the, the king was Ahab. And Ahab, it, it, it says that Ahab was the worst of all the, the kings. It, it names a number of them after Solomon, uh, after the kingdom split. And, and Ahab was, uh, it says, the worst up until then. And one of the reasons is that he married one of his wives, was named Jezebel. Now, if, 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 Angela, if I called you a Jezebel, I wouldn't be complimenting you. <laughs> uh, Jezebel has a pejorative meaning, meaning and um, this comes from this figure, Jezebel, who was, uh, you know, kind of a wicked woman. Uh, in fact, in today's Office of Readings, uh, you know, Ahab wanted to buy land next to uh, a plot of land that he owned from Naboth. Naboth refused to sell it to him, so he went away sad, and he wouldn't eat. He was pouting, and Jezebel comes in and says, what's, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you eating your food? He says, well, Naboth won't sell me his, his, his plot of land. And she says, don't worry, I'll take care of this. So she gets people to accuse Naboth of blaspheming God, has him put to death. And she says, okay, go ahead. And she goes into her husband. She says, you know, King Ahab, go ahead, take, take Naboth's land, and, you know, you can, you're, you're free to take this now. Uh, and he runs into the prophet Elijah, who says, you shed innocent blood. Your sh blood will be shed, and the dogs will lick it up, and this is what happened. Anyway, um, Jezebel, as the wife of, of the King Ahab uh, was a pagan. She promoted uh, 
pagan idol worship to the pagan god Baal. <clears throat> and this was totally opposed to what, you know, the, the religion of, of the Hebrews, uh, what they practiced. And, you know, this included things like offering your children up in sacrifice to, to the Baals, okay, these, these false gods. And she, she the, the uh, false god Baal, or Baals as they're called sometimes, the plural, uh, there were 450 prophets, false prophets, that promoted this pagan demonic idol worship. And so God chose the prophets to go to the people and call them back to true worship. And this is what he did back at this time. This is about the middle of the 9th century, like 850 B.C., more or less. Okay, So um, Elijah is chosen as the prophet. He's the first of the great prophets, by the way, Elijah. To, that you know calls people back, speaks for God. He is not a writing prophet, however. We see him in the first book of Kings. He makes his appearance. Uh, there are two books of Kings in, in the, the newer versions of the Bible. If you have an older Douay Rames, there are four books of Kings. In the newer Bibles, you have what was first and second Kings, now first and second Samuel, and then you have first and second Kings. The older Bibles, you had four books of Kings. So. In the newer Bibles, uh, the New American, for example, you'd have uh, Elijah appearing in the first book of Kings. It would be the third book of Kings if you have an older Bible, a Douay Rheims, okay, for example. So Elijah is sent. He's the first of the great prophets to call the people of Israel back to God. And in order to do this, he calls down a, pla or, uh, a drought on on the northern kingdom of Israel. No rain falls on Israel for three and one-half years through Elijah's prayer. It is time to take a break. We'll return to the story of the great prophet Elijah, or Elias, as he's called in some of the older uh, translations, uh, just in a minute after a short break. Thank you. Hi, this is John Wood, author of Ordinary Lives, Extraordinary Mission, and I just want to encourage everyone to support WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio. Uh, Catholic Radio does so many great things, spreads our faith, it's so needed in this time, and I want everybody to get on board. Uh, people's lives are being changed. It's a great avenue for evangelization and um, inspiring all of us to become the saints we were created to be. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. 
The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Okay, good afternoon. This is Father Dwight Campbell back for the second segment of the Marian Hour today. And um, if you're just joining us, I'm talking about the, well, the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which is this Friday, July 16th. And I'm giving the background to uh, how Mount Carmel is related to Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's one of her titles. I was telling the story of how in the the 9th century B.C., the Israelites fall off into false worship of the Baals, uh, demonic gods, uh, at the encouragement of, of the wife of King Ahab, who is um, married to Jezebel, um, and Jezebel, she encourages false prophets of the Baals, these demonic false gods, uh, to promote false worship. So um, the prophet Elijah is sent to call the people back to God, And he calls down a drought on the northern kingdom of Israel. This is the the mid-800s B.C. No rain falls for three and one-half years. And at the end of of that three-and-a-half-year period, the the prophet Elijah challenges the false prophets of Baal— 450 of them to, you'd say, a spiritual duel on top of Mount Carmel. He tells them to gather on top of Mount Carmel along with all the people in the northern kingdom. And they do. They gather there. And this story is told in the the first book of Kings. Okay. And actually, it was just in the Office of Readings the past few days, Saturday and Sunday, uh, as, as well as Monday, uh, we were, were reading the story about Elijah sent to call the people back to uh, God's, the true worship of God. So the people of Israel are gathered on Mount Carmel with the false prophets, 450, who, who promote this demonic worship to the Baals and, and Elijah. And Elijah speaks to all the people. He says, now I want you to make a choice between the true God of Israel and the false God. And so he orders two altars to be constructed. Okay. Wooden altars, uh, basically piles of wood. And uh, uh, a a calf or a, or a, a bull is, is placed on, on each of the altars. He tells the false prophets, okay, you call down 
you call upon your your God or your gods, okay, to bring down fire from heaven to consume your holocaust, okay, your altar, the wood and the and the the animal on it. And he says, then I will call upon the true God. So, um, the false prophets of Baal begin to dance around and chant and call upon their gods to bring down fire from heaven to consume their 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 holocaust okay their their animal on their altar well they dance around all morning and uh, they even cut themselves they're a bloody mess this is part of their demonic worship and nothing happens and Elijah even mocks them he says well maybe maybe your god took a break uh, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's resting. And they continue for hours and hours through the noon hour, through you know the afternoon, hopping around, dancing around, cutting themselves. This bloody, uh, horrific scene. It, it must have been. Nothing happens. So after they're finished, Elijah calls upon the true God. Before he does this, he tells his servants, he says, okay, pour water over my altar and the animal on it, okay? And he says, do it again. And he says, do it again. So they're pouring this water over. He wants to make sure, you know, okay, this isn't going to be some trick. I don't have a, you know, not lighting a match underneath it. Uh, there's so much water, there's like a moat almost around the, 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 um, the altar, and then he calls upon the true God of Israel, who sends down fire and consumes everything. I mean, this the wood was placed on top of bricks. Everything is consumed. The, the animal, the, the, the wood, the, the bricks, it's all burned up. And Elijah then turns to the people and says, okay, who is the true God? And they all say, well, we believe in, in the God of Israel is the true God. So Elijah, he says, well, thanks be to God that you're, you're professing your faith in the true God. Elijah then proceeded to take the, all 450 false prophets down to the, the, this little river beneath. And do you know what he did with them, Angela? I, I don't. He slit their throats. Oh. Yes. He, yep. He carried out the just punishment of God because these were leading, these false prophets were leading people into demonic pagan idol worship, sacrificing their children, doing all kinds of bad things. So he, he, he executed all of them, slit their throats. And the people professed their belief in the true God. Well, um, the, the Office of Readings, I'm not sure if it was yesterday or today, I'm forgetting. Well, word gets back to Jezebel <laughs> that uh, her prophets are dead, and she she um, um, puts out a, a death order on on Elijah. So he takes off. He he walks all the way to Mount Horeb, which is where Moses received his um, uh, ten commandment, the ten commandments. Anyway, um, after after the the spiritual duel takes place um, 
Elijah, remember there's been a drought for three and a half years. So Elijah <clears throat> is praying to God that there be rain to end the drought. Okay, the people are, are back, they're professing their belief in the true God. So he's, he's on Mount Carmel and he sends a servant to, you know, he, he's in a cave. That's his, his residence. You can still visit his cave in, 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 in Mount Carmel uh, where he lived. He sends out his servant. He says, uh, go see if there's, there's any rain yet. Okay. His servant goes out. He looks in the skies, clear as a bell, blue skies, comes back. He says, not even a cloud in the sky, Elijah. There's, there's nothing, you know, and he sends him out again. He looks, comes back, nothing's, nothing, no rain, sends him out again and again and again. Six times he sends him out, and six times he comes back, he says, there, there's no rain. The seventh time he sends him, and his servant says, I saw a little cloud rising from the ocean, the Mediterranean, which is salt water, okay? A little white cloud. And from that little white cloud, there grew a huge black series of clouds. Then thunder, it poured down rain, it ended the drought of three and a half years. Now, the Carmelite tradition and the tradition of the church, I'd imagine, too, um, sees in this little cloud, which, depending upon your translation, was, was in the shape of a foot. Okay. Um, it is this white cloud that comes up from, from the ocean, the Mediterranean, but it, it, it pours out clean rain, not salty rain. And the tradition in the church, especially the Carmelites, they see this small cloud as symbolic of guess who? Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, yes. Uh, she is taken uh, from humanity. She comes, you know, this white cloud comes from the ocean, which is filled with salt and other bad things, okay? The white cloud is, doesn't have salt, has pure water. This represents our Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, her Immaculate Conception. And uh, also, the abundance of water that comes and ends the drought is symbolic that she is the, the channel of all the grace of Christ. She conceives Jesus, the source of all grace, and all the grace of Jesus Christ comes through the Blessed Virgin Mary. So uh, Our Lady is, oh, another thing too, and, and if this, this cloud that is the foot, well, here relating it to the Immaculate Conception, okay, uh, Genesis 3.15, the, the prophecy, the Proto-Evangelium, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and she will crush your head. So uh, this, this cloud in the shape of a foot is seen as the Blessed Virgin Mary defeating Satan uh, especially the satanic forces back in the 9th century B.C. who were um, you know, promoting uh, pagan 
demonic worship and sacrificing their children to the pagan gods. So um, now the the story of Elijah doesn't end there, but uh, I'll go to his the last scene of him on earth. Okay. Do you, are you familiar what happens, Angela, to the prophet Elijah, or as I said, the older translations, Elias, E-L-I-A-S. Uh, the newer translations, Elijah, E-I-L-E-L-I-J-A-H. Okay, same person. Okay, so um, what happens to Elijah Is or he Elias? Assumed into heaven. Well, Is he how? Like a chariot. Or chariot. A that's chariot. it. Yeah. Yes, yes. The, uh, a fiery chariot comes down from heaven. He's at the Jordan River, and um, just as the fiery chariot comes down, he hands off his mantle, his, his outer garment, to his successor, Elysius or Elisha, okay, depending upon your translation. Okay, I'll just say Elisha, not Elijah. Elisha is, is his successor. He hands it off as a symbol of, of that now he has the authority of the great prophet, and Elijah is taken away in a fiery chariot. Now, we, we say to heaven, um, the story of Elijah isn't finished, however, after he goes away in the fiery chariot. Because we're going to see Elijah again. Maybe not us, personally, but the world is going to see Elijah again. Do you know when? The second coming. Before the second coming. Before the second coming. Yes. Elijah is... Um, is one of, and it's believed he's, well, in many books of the Old Testament, it speaks of Elijah returning. This is why John the Baptist, they were asking, are you Elijah? Yeah. And Jesus says he came in the spirit of Elijah. Well, this was for Christ's first coming. Elijah will return to the earth before the second coming of Christ during the reign of the Antichrist. And we see this in chapter 11 of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, I will open it up and read from it, okay, because it describes these two witnesses who come to witness against the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come to power. He will reign for three and one-half years, a three-and-one-half-year period, a mockery of Christ, just like Elijah called down drought for three-and-one-half years. Actually, the uh, Rev the book of Revelation, chapter 11, speaks of um, um, the Gentiles will, will uh, uh, come and uh, will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, 42 months is three, three and, and one years, half yeah. years, okay? And then it says, I will commission my two witnesses to prophesy for 1260 days wearing sackcloth and um, so two witnesses one of them we believe is going to be Elijah because why do they believe it's Elijah because other books of, of the Old Testament books refer to Elijah returning specifically okay, so that's he will return and that's why they thought John the Baptist at Christ's first coming was Elijah because they they linked uh, the Messiah's coming with the prophet Elijah, well, it's not his first 
actually it's his second coming that Elijah will prepare for. Uh, and um, it is, um, I think it's the book of Sirach that speaks of Elijah will come and convert the Jews. See, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks of how the Jews are the, the branch that has been broken off the vine, but it will be regrafted on before the end of, of time. Jews will convert to Christ. Elijah will convert them. See, they will first embrace the Antichrist when he comes. He's the false prophet, you know, very flashy, you know, supposedly a man of peace. And, but it turns out he's evil. He will demand worship of himself. In 2 Thessalonians, St. Paul calls him the man of perdition. And, uh, but in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, um, these two witnesses who will prophesy during the reign of the Antichrist, one of them is Elijah. The other, it's open to dispute. Some have even said Moses will come back, but the, the weight of the opinion of the fathers is it is Henoch. Henoch is one of the early descendants of Adam and Eve. And Henoch, in the book of Genesis, speaks of how um, the book of Genesis talks about how Henoch was taken away, just he, he was taken up without dying. He didn't die. So he's like Elijah. He didn't die. So the weight of the opinion of the fathers, the great saints, is that it will be Henoch and Elijah that will return during the reign of the Antichrist. And uh, let me just finish here. They will have the power, says chapter 11, book of Revelation, to close up the sky so that no rain can fall during the time of their prophesying, just like Elijah the first time, okay? They also have the power to turn water into blood, afflict the earth with any plague, just like Moses did during uh, the time preceding the exodus of the Israelites. So it's time for another break. We'll be back for the third segment of the Marian Hour shortly. an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Building homes, building community, building hope. Habitat for Humanity Lake County welcomes you to serve God's people. We invite you to build and rehab homes with Habitat for Humanity right here in Lake County. You can also donate and purchase building products, newer appliances, and non-upholstered furniture to the Gurney Restore. For information, visit habitatlc.org. That's habitatlc.org or call 847-623-1020. Amen. 
Okay, this is Father Campbell. I'm back for the third segment of the Marian Hour. We're talking today about Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the history behind it. Okay, I was talking about how Elijah the prophet, he is considered the founder of the Carmelites. Okay, I'll just say this, that after Elijah is taken away in a fiery chariot, he hands his mantle off to Elisha. Um, you could say Old Testament monks, followers of Elijah and Elisha, they gather up on Mount Carmel, this is the Carmelite tradition, and they pray for hundreds of years for the coming of the Messiah. And it is believed by the Carmelites that first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, 10 days after he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes as tongues of fire, as a wind. The apostles go out preaching, they baptize 5,000 that first day, and among those 5,000 are the monks, the followers of Elijah and Elisha. So the Carmelites are the first to be baptized, and then they go up back to Mount Carmel. They uh, build a church there and on the same site where Elijah saw the cloud arising, symbolizing Mary and her immaculate conception. So... <clears throat> In the, we've, we go forward to the 12th century now. There's a Saint Berthold, okay? He came from France. We think as either just a pilgrim or a crusader. And he goes to Mount Carmel to uh, just, uh, you know, sh show his devotion to uh, the prophet Elias. And he forms a community in the spirit of, of Elijah. And they build these monks on Mount Carmel. They build a chapel consecrated to Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And they also refer to themselves as the brothers of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And <clears throat> around the year 1210, the Latin patriarch who's in charge of the Holy Land, he approves their rules. 1247, Pope Innocent IV authorizes these rules. And... About this time, the middle of the 13th century, the Saracens, okay, the Muslims, well, they're overrunning the Holy Land. And they chase out, basically, the Carmelites. Okay? The Carmelites flee. They disperse through Europe. And uh, <clears throat> the, in the year 1247, uh, in England... The Carmelites elect their supreme, superior general. Okay? His name is Simon Stock. He's 82 years old, and he begins to reform the order. And things were going well, and he was thinking of basically disbanding the order because they were persecuted, you know, new orders that come, they're not always welcomed and accepted, and they're, they're dispersed throughout Europe, and... So in 1251, he's, you know, thinking, what, what should I do? Well, the Blessed Virgin Mary appears to him. Guess what date? July 16th, 1251. She appears to St. Simon's Stock. She wants her order to remain intact. And she gives to Simon Stock, now St. Simon Stock, she gives him the brown scapular. It's a piece of brown cloth, and this will be part of their, their garb that they will wear. 
It covers the front and the back, a piece of brown cloth with a hole in the middle. So you, you stick your head through the hole and, you know, it covers basically your, your, you know, your, your breast and your, your backside, this piece of, piece of cloth. It's long and, um, and about as wide as your chest. And Our Lady makes a promise as she gives this to St. Simon Stock. In fact, I have this, the wording emblazoned in my sanctuary at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church below the Ten Carmelite Saints and right above the big mural on the one side of Elijah on the fiery chariot and the other side, Our Lady giving the brown scapular to St. Simon Stock. And the words are, Whosoever dies wearing the scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. And that is the great promise of the brown scapular. Uh, and the version that we wear, okay, priests who aren't necessarily in the order of Mount Carmel, I wouldn't wear the full scapular or the laity, we wear a smaller version. Okay, we, There's a cord that attaches uh, to, on, on the two sides, um, it attaches to two pieces of, a brown cloth, and sometimes there is an image of, um, you know, Our Lady giving the brown scapular to Simon Stock on one of them. Another one may be just, uh, you know, a picture of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so uh, uh, Our Lady's promise is that those who wear the brown scapular will not suffer eternal fire. What does that mean, practically speaking? Well, <clears throat> the brown scapular is a sacramental. It is not a sacrament. It does not uh, give grace, okay? It's not a channel of grace in itself. The sacraments are, okay? If they're, if they're performed, you know, in the right manner, they, they automatically give the grace they signify. Um, ex opere operato, as they say, okay? So, sacramentals, are are blessed objects that open one to grace. Holy water is a sacramental. Okay. Um, the brown scapular is a sacramental. And Our Lady promises special protection for people who wear the brown scapular. So they will not so so they will not suffer the fires of hell, which basically um, we should interpret this as a promise by Our Lady that we will not die in a state of mortal sin. Because I, as I explained to uh, my people this past Sunday when we celebrated the feast day, I always love to celebrate the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, um, if you die in mortal sin, you don't get to heaven. If you die in, in a state of grace, you get to heaven. So you're either in a state of grace or you aren't in a state of grace. You die out of a state of grace, you're separated from God for eternity. That's what hell is. You die in a state of grace, you're going to get to heaven. You may have to get cleaned up in purgatory uh, to atone for any sins that weren't atoned for in this life, but you're getting to heaven. Our Lady's promise is that she will, she will assure that if you wear it devoutly, not as you know, a good luck charm, you can't go out you know, robbing banks, uh, committing adultery, fornicating, whatever it may be, and say, well, I have my brown scapular on, so this will save me. No, no, that's the sin of presumption. We don't do that. But if, you, if one wears the brown scapular trying to lead a good life, Our Lady will assure that um, you will get to heaven. 
and meaning that she assures that you will die in a state of grace, not in a state of mortal sin. So that's that's the beautiful promise of of the Blessed Virgin Mary to um, to Saint Simon Stock, and I'll I'll mention here something too. Um, uh, the the brown scapular is also recognized as uh, a symbol of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I'll give an, exa an example of this uh, or explain how we understand this. Um, in the 1950s, William Thomas Walsh, who was a Catholic historian who wrote a book on Fatima, he interviewed Sister Lucia. Sister Lucia, the, who was then the third surviving Fatima seer, who was a Carmelite nun at the time. And um, we know from, as William Thomas Walsh knew, the last apparition of Our Lady to the three children, October 13, 1917, Our Lady appeared in three different images to the children. Okay. One was Our Lady of Sorrows, one was the Holy Family, Joseph was holding the baby Jesus, and the third was, guess what, Angela? Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, yes. She appeared as Our Lady of Mount Carmel. As I said this to people at Mass on Sunday, I'm pointing to our statue on top <laughs> of our altar. I'm saying, just like that, Our Lady's got the scapular in her hand, scapular, the brown scapular in her hand. The baby Jesus has the brown scapular in his hand. And uh, William Thomas Walsh asked Sister Lucia why Our Lady appeared like this as our Lady of Mount Carmel holding the brown scapular. And um, Sister Lucia basically said, well, because Our Lady wants everyone to wear the brown scapular. Okay? Wow. And uh, she said, I'll quote her, her ver you know, verbatim, because Our Lady wants everyone to wear it, the brown scapular, it is a sign of consecration to her immaculate heart. That's why you'll often see, on, at least on one of the brown uh, pieces of cloth in the brown scapular, an image of the immaculate heart of Mary with the, you know, the sword going through um, a symbol of this. In 1950, Pope Pius XII, he wrote some famous words about the brown scapular. I quote him, he says, let it be your sign of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Okay. And in 2001, 51 years later, Pope, now Saint John Paul II, um, called the Brown Scapular, and I quote, the most genuine form of devotion to the Blessed Virgin, a humble sign of consecration to her Immaculate Heart. So uh, we see uh, the brown scapular as a sign of consecration to Our Lady, her Immaculate Heart, and we consecrate ourselves to the heart of Our Lady as, as uh, 
an intentional way of living her virtues, okay, her uh, deep faith and humility, her constant prayer. Um, we go on with a number of virtues, her love for God, her love for Jesus Christ, her, her love for us. Father, does it matter if it's a, I saw people recently wearing a scapular medal versus a scapular? Well, the, the, the members of, of the Order of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the church basically approved this too, that, uh, that one, if the brown scapular causes people maybe irritation, uh, that the scapular metal suffices to wear that. What if and it's usually vanity? And, pardon me? What if it's vanity? Well, I don't know if that's the best reason. No, but no, but I'm saying a lot of people don't want to wear the brown cord sticking out, so what they'll do is they'll buy the metal and they feel like it's... Yes, well, it is allowed, okay? I'm not going to judge people's <laughs> intentions, but um, it is allowed, so uh, as as a substitute, Okay. So anyway, I promised, I think we, how much time do we have left? Just here? a few minutes. Let's see, it's 2.53, so you have about five and a half minutes. Okay. Okay, well, just to finish up on your question, the, the scapular metal, it usually comes with a number of images on it. It'll right. have the sacred heart. It'll have the, 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 the miraculous metal image of the two hearts, and it will have... The, the image of Our Lady holding the brown scapular, holding the baby Jesus. So that suffices to, to take advantage of the promise. And um, there's a confraternity of the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. A confraternity is an association. And you're formally enrolled in this. And when, when you are formally enrolled by a priest, as I just did this past Sunday, um, people are enrolled for life. They take advantage of all the spiritual benefits of the members of the Order of Mount Carmel. Those uh, consecrated members, the religious of Mount Carmel, pray for them, include them in their prayers. And if you lose your brown scapular or it you know, breaks, you just get another one, get a priest to bless it, put it on, or, or a medal. Okay? Either of them suffice. Now, I... I promise to read an act of consecration to Our Lady of Mount Carmel as uh, a way to end my, my show today. I'll do that at this time. So here is the consecration to Our Lady of Mount Carmel. O Mary, Queen and Mother of Carmel, I come today to consecrate myself entirely to Thee. To Thee as the Mother of Grace, I owe all that I am and all that I have and my whole life is a small return for the many graces and blessings that have come from God to me through thy hands. Since thou regardest with an eye of special kindness those who wear thy scapular, I implore thee to strengthen my weakness with thy power, to enlighten my mind with thy wisdom, to increase in me faith, hope, and charity, that I may render day by day my debt of humble homage to thee. May thy scapular... Keep thine eyes of mercy turned toward me and bring me thy special protection in the daily struggle to be faithful to thy divine Son and to thee. May it separate me from all that is sinful in life and remind me constantly of my duty to behold thee and to clothe me with thy virtues. 
From henceforth, I shall strive to live in the sweet companionship of thy spirit, to offer all to Jesus through thee, and to make my life the mirror of thy humility, charity, patience, meekness, and prayerfulness. O dearest mother, support me by thy never-failing love, that I, an unworthy sinner, may come one day to exchange thy scapular for the wedding garment of heaven and dwell with thee and the saints of Carmel in the kingdom of thy Son. Amen. O beautiful flower of Mount Carmel, pray, pray for, for us. us. Okay. And uh, let me see if I have it here. I have, uh, I'm not sure if I do or not. I you have the relic. I have the relic, yes. Um, but, um, oh, I, well, I guess I'm missing it here. There's one more little prayer I wanted to say. But I, I'll just give a blessing. I see we just have a couple of minutes left here. Let me just say this. Um, if you, back in the old days, okay, years ago, children were enrolled in the confraternity of the Brown Scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel at their first communion. That was traditional. Wow. I do that all the time. I've been doing that my whole priesthood. If you've never been enrolled, just ask a priest uh, to, to enroll you. You can get the enrollment prayer online. The Carmelites have it available. And then you take advantage of all the spiritual benefits of the religious of Mount Carmel. And, uh, but, but wear it. That's, you know, it, it doesn't do any good sitting in a, in a drawer or whatever. I wear mine all the time. And um, uh, either that or, or the medal, okay, as a sign of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary under her glorious title, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I'll give a, a blessing as a way of ending the show today through the intercession of the sorrowful and Immaculate Heart of Mary and Our Lady of Mount Carmel, whose feast we celebrate this Friday, and by the intercession of St. Kateri Tekakwitha, whose feast day we celebrate today, May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look forward to seeing you in two weeks. God bless you. And um, strive for that, that holiness and imitation of Our Lady. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com. ...or being confirmed, remember that Holy Family has the area's largest selection of gifts, accessories, and supplies to make their special day.